Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life, and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com, and let us know what He's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Well, we're in a series on changing the future by changing our lives, and we've talked about generational transfer, learning to think about the next generation. God is a builder. God thinks, God plans, and God builds generationally. So we've got to think way beyond us with our children. And as a church family, we have to be thinking about the next generation, the culture they're going to inherit, and how to be effective and fruitful as they impact it. And the thinking that got us where we are won't take us to the next level where we need to be. That's true in marriage. That's true in your business, your finance. We have to constantly adapt and change. The only thing that doesn't change is eternal truth. God's Word is the only thing that is not subject to change. Everything else is. Music, technology, style, and method are not sacred. That's a fact. Hard-headed, old-time Christian, that's not sacred. So, you know, I, I just, I wonder who thinks. You know, does anybody question anything with Scripture? With Scripture. Now, we have a lot of questioning people, but it, they don't use Scripture. But if it's not within the boundaries of clear Scripture, you can freestyle. You can. We can have couches in here, lazy boy chairs. We could have waitresses serving you coffee or cappuccinos and maybe a bacon and egg taco while you listen to me. We, there's nothing in the Bible that would prohibit that except my budget, so that ain't happening. <laughs> but you can make it happen. There is a law in leadership, 21 irrefutable laws, particularly in business, called the law of the lid. Scientists take hundreds of mosquitoes, uh, gnats or whatever you want to call them, they put them in a mason jar, screw the lid on, and they try to get out. They can't get out. After an eight-day period, they no longer try to get out. If you open the lid, they will not ever fly up beyond the lid. And when they regenerate and produce children, offspring, those offspring won't go higher than that lid. That says to us, we set the lid for the next generation. And some of you have been clamped down for half your life. We need to live life unlimited, except within the boundaries of Scripture, and take the lid off that you came out of your family with, or your culture with, or your past or background, so our kids can fly way, way beyond the lid and do something really, really great. But it won't happen if we don't pass that off to the next generation. Psalms 145, verse 3, every day I will bless you, David said. Every day I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. That's a great way to speak to your problems. That's a great way to speak to the challenges in your life. And that's a great way to speak to your kids. Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another, 
and shall declare your mighty acts. So when you change your future, you pass that change on to your children's children's children, and you affect the next generation that's coming. This church is about changing the future. It's about changing the path and the direction of people's lives. When you change a person's life, you forever change their generation from there on out. It's incredible. I told you that last two weeks ago I was in Nashville preaching, and one of the men that has an amazing church there, Maury Davis at Cornerstone Church. I'm going to have him come. And I'm telling you, he was a convicted murderer, a young man that threw his life in the trash, went to Huntsville Prison, uh, a pastor from Dallas visited him in the jail, led him to Jesus. That man now has one of the large churches in Nashville, Tennessee. He is an Assembly of God preacher. He's bold, he's audacious, and now he has two grown sons that assist him in that ministry. And I just thought when his life changed as a murderer in that prison, he not only changed the course of his future, but his own children and children's children for generations to come out of that one main decision to give his life and heart to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, whatever you came out of, you don't have to pass that on to the next generation. You can reach escape velocity like they do in space if you'll start thinking some kingdom thoughts in Scripture. So time and again, Scripture talks about generation to generation. One generation imparts to the next generation. And you can pass on something negative or positive. And whether it's our own children or, as a church, the next generation growing up within our building, it's our responsibility to salt the earth and establish God's kingdom. I like spicy food. I like spicy people. I do. I like people that are a little edgy. Oh, they're dangerous to you traditionalists, but I, I like it. And I like spice on my food. Uh, when you put a little bit of salt on something, it changes the whole flavor of that meat or salad or whatever you're eating. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, it just takes a little bit for you to say, wow, right? Or you've, I've heard people say this, this, this steak or this, this salad is very salty. I have never once in my life heard anybody say, this salt tastes salady. This salt tastes steaky. See, salt affects everything it touches. Nothing affects salt. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. So get out there and start affecting something. Change the family you live in. Change the children that grew up. If you came from a divorced family, determine to pass on marital qualities to your kids, and they don't have to continue that. If you faced unemployment or murder or your background was horrific, you can pass not that but something else on blessing to the future generation. If your generation you grew up in or family lives small and meager and poor and we can't afford that, don't, don't even think about that, you can pass that to the next generation or you can pass on big thinking to the next generation.
And we want to challenge you to realize that you don't have to live within the lid of the jar you came out of. God gives you big parameters. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. So stop thinking like a, an American. Stop thinking like a white man, black man, or an Asian man, or a Hispanic man. Start thinking like a kingdom man. Big, audacious, thrilling, exciting. So, verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. What do you declare to your children? Oh, you'll never have anything. You'll never be anything. You can't afford that. You don't have that education. What are you declaring? Or you can do anything you set your mind to. You live in a country of unlimited opportunity. Yeah, we've got obstacles and trouble, but compared to the whole world, oh, son, if you can't make it here, you can't make it anywhere. That sounds like Frank Sinatra. Just thinking of some old song. I love old Frankie, old blue eyes. So it's no wonder because some of the things our kids have heard you declare, they live such limited small lives. So we need to be people whose words praise the Lord from one generation to the next. So speak well of God, speak well of his work, speak well of his people, and you're passing that on to another generation, from generation to generations. I want to pass that on to my kids and to the next generation in this church. Pass on the right things, the kingdom things to the next generation. That kind of thinking, that kind of lifestyle, that kind of attitude. I'm not going to let some white racist bigot determine how I respond in a multicultural situation. I'm not going to let a Democrat or a Republican tell me how I think or what is right and what's wrong. I'm a kingdom man. I'm going to let Scripture set the boundaries for my life. I'm not going to let my zip code determine who I associate with and who I don't. I'm not going to let race determine who I marry. I'm going to let character and vision and value determine who I'm going to marry. Some of you have been limp. You've been, they got you in a little bitty box, and you were taught in school, don't color outside the lines. So that's the way you've lived all your life in that little bitty box, a black box, a white box, a Hispanic box. Get out of the box. Get into the world. Get into life. Live big. Stay within the bounds of Scripture. But don't let anybody intimidate you or push you into some small, limited way to think. It's sad how many people let somebody else do their thinking. Once you know who you are and who God has declared you to be and what God said you can do, my God, nobody ought to be able to push you around, intimidate you. Well, Psalms 112, verse 1, praise the Lord, David said. Great way to start anything. It's a great way to start a church service, and that's why we start every service by praising God. He said to, and he's worthy of it. Some of you deliberately miss the high praises of God. Shame on you. That's a shame on you. I mean, our God who saved you, who went to a cross and died for you, you, are, you get out and cheer better for a Spurs game than you do for Jesus. My, and they could care less about you. When they pass out the checks on the Spurs players, they ain't thinking about you. And yet you'll cheer more for them. I'm thinking, not a chance I'm going to let somebody else. Jesus said, if you won't praise me, I'll let these rocks can praise me. I'm not going to let some rock take my job. So get excited and be, be here. Some of you say, I wish praise was longer. It would if you showed up earlier. <laughs> you come in at... <laughs> you come in at the end. Naughty, naughty, naughty. 
So what we're doing is setting a foundation, confessing positive praise to God. It's not just rhythm and fast music. It's a great way to start every day. David said, every day I will praise you. Then he goes on to say, blessed is the man, verse 2, the generation of that blessed man will be blessed from generation to generation. When you are a blessed man of God and you built God's blessing into your life, you're ensuring a great heritage for the generation to come. So I never look at this church in terms of just here and now. I want to see the foundations that we are laying that are beneficial to the generation that's coming. It's here. It's already arrived. It's in the nursery crying. It's somewhere in a toddler in another class, but it's here. You know, the next building we're going to build won't be just for us. If it were just for us, we could make do with here and now. But we're thinking about generations to come, a gymnasium. We're thinking about a building on this side for just our youth and children. We have incredible expansive needs for the next generation to come. So blessed is the man, and blessed shall be his generation. Listen to the Living Bible, verse 2. His children shall be on the earth everywhere. For good men's sons have a special heritage. Wow. God's good children have a special heritage to pass on to their kids and their kids' kids for generations to come. So what if your mom and dad weren't any good? What if you were abused by your father? What if you were rejected by a parent? Does that have to affect you all your life? Does that curse of addiction, unemployment, divorce, abuse, immorality have to run through your generations? Absolutely not. No matter who your parent was or is, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the curse of Adam has been broken over you. You are a benefactor with faithful Abraham and an heir to all of his blessings. You now have a new family line through Jesus Christ, and God Almighty becomes your father, and he's a good father. And you don't get your identity through your natural parents. You get it through your spiritual father. You came from God through your parents. You didn't come from them. God just picked up a little DNA on the journey and made you. And so you were in his thoughts. You were in his mind before you were conceived in that egg. That's what he said to Jeremiah. Dude, before you were conceived in the womb, I knew you. I ordained you and called you to be a prophet to the nation. I wrote your DNA. I wrote your future. Now come to me. Give me your life. Learn to think and renew your mind with my word, and I'm going to take you on a great adventure of a lifetime. It's part of your purpose and your destiny. So I am now not who my daddy said I am or my mama said I am or your ex-spouse said you are or a teacher. You are who God the Father who made you, designed you, and pre-programmed you. You're who he says you are, and you are that every day of your life. You need to wrap your mind around what God says you are, not who somebody says you were. So you don't have to inherit a curse. The Heavenly Father will bless you as much or more than any good natural father. And if you're the only Christian in your family, you're still a benefactor and an inheritor of the promises of God. You have changed the future of your life and generations forever. So the man is blessed. His children are blessed. His children are mighty in the earth. Your children and children's children will get stronger and stronger. And we want to pass that on to generations to come. 
I am a benefactor today because of my grandfather. It was his input into my life, taking me to church, teaching me to honor God with my tithe. Said I was a rebellious, non-hard-headed teenager, not listening, but I was getting the seed coming my way. And my grandfather, who was saved under the uh, converted White Sox baseball player drunk, uh, uh, Billy Sunday, got saved in Spartanburg, South Carolina in 1921 with his father, walked down a sawdust trail and gave his life to Jesus, forever changing his generation, little knowing he would affect my generation, not even living to see where I am and who I am today, primarily because he was a blessed man and he passed that on. I didn't get that from my, my biological daddy. I got that from my grandfather. So some of you grandparents out there, maybe you don't realize the profound effect you can have on the next generation. This is big time business. You know it? Psalms 112 verse 3, wealth and riches shall be in that man's house and his generosity will endure forever. You'd be amazed how many Christians have a problem with that. Now, if it said wealth and riches would be in his heart, oh, that'd be okay. But it doesn't say that. It says wealth and riches shall be in that man's house. And I'm amazed how many believers are uncomfortable on the subject of prosperity. It's a tragedy. It's the enemy conning God's people to rip you off. Uh, most of them have inherited a wrong view. They got it either from their parents or they got it from bad toxic religion. And they simply wouldn't be comfortable without that negative view because that's what's been imparted to them. And as a result, they live below the provision of Scripture and their potential. Because of wrong religious teaching and bad attitudes of the people they hang around, prosperity is a subject that makes them uncomfortable. Yet watch our country go nuts when there's a $400 million Powerball lottery. Yeah. And if these kind of Christians had anything nice, they'd feel guilty. They'd want to hide it. Now, if it's more blessed to give than receive, you can't do that broke. That's exactly right. But that's sad. But religion does that to people. And wrong attitudes are passed from generation to generation, family to family. How your family approach money? Did they tip? Were they generous people? Were they stingy people? Were they greedy people? That affects you. And God says, you can renew your mind, transform the way you think with my word. And now suddenly, I don't think like my parents thought. I don't think like my grandparents thought. He says, wealth and riches shall be in your household. Prosperity is more than just money. Prosperity would have to have money in it. But it also includes how about being rich in a good marriage? Good, I know millionaires who would give a million dollars for good health. And they can't buy it. Having good kids, having good relationships, great friends. It's a rich, abundant life. It's all areas of life that God wants you to prosper. Wasn't it St. John who said, Beloved, I pray above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, if God said that's a good thing, I don't care what some knucklehead Christian says. I want a piece of that. As my friend up in Dallas said, get you some of that. If that's what God said, I'm going to agree with God, not you. And so because of these wrong attitudes, the kingdom of God suffers. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. God said that. Proverbs 3, verse 16. If you live by godly wisdom, you're going to have length of days because you're not going to live stupid. Riches and honor in your hand. Living right and living wise 
will put resources in your hand and longevity. That's wisdom involved things like hard work. I know that's strange for some of you. Good decisions, wisdom. Think about the way you relate to people. Read one chapter in Proverbs each day and watch the wisest man on earth tell you how to do life, business, marriage, relationships, everything, everything. It's right there. Most business motivational speakers who aren't even Christian will quote Solomon and live a better life than a bunch of broke Christians who don't even read the Bible, doesn't know what it says, and, and have their own ideas and opinions that are contradictory to what God said. So I want to live right, and I want to live smart. The difference in seasons in your life is wisdom. The difference in success and failure, wisdom. The difference in poverty and prosperity, wisdom. Something you didn't know or you have not done because you've refused to do it. It's called wisdom. And wisdom is available to everybody. God says, if any man lack wisdom, let him come to me. Let him ask me. I give to all men liberally. And he's given us a, a whole book of wisdom called Proverbs. We learn how to do money, how to do marriage, how to do God, how to do relationships, how to do kids, everything. How to deal with trouble. It's right there. But the average Christian is, we used to criticize Catholics for not knowing their Bible or reading it. Well, Protestants have them in every hotel room, but nobody reads them. So what's the difference? There's nothing to do you any good if you don't know what it says. So get, get smart, get, get wise. Wisdom involves being a generous person, learning how to sow, and then being able to reap. It's putting the kingdom of God first. Wisdom are all of those things that will put prosperity in your hand. Not only does the Bible promise wisdom will put prosperity in your hand, Psalms 35 verse 27 says, the Lord takes pleasure or delights in the prosperity of His people. What are you going to do with that? Scream at God? You don't believe it? See, people get mad if a church does anything upscale or excellent. If it's too attractive, if it's first rate, if it's excellent, it's called worldly. If it's ugly, second rate, and dying, is holy. No, it's awful. That's what it is. The Bible says the righteous are more excellent than his neighbor. No matter what neighborhood or zip code you live in, your yard, your home ought to be painted. The screen ought to be fixed. Trash ought to be out of the yard. It ought to be cut. You're more excellent than your pagan neighbor. It's not how expensive it is. It's excellent. It doesn't, it's not how much or expensive it is. It's excellent. I don't, want, I don't want my yard to be a weed patch. I don't want stuff that broke down five years ago out in the yard. You can drive through any neighborhood in, in some of our areas, even out where I live, and there's people that hadn't moved three broken cars in the 30 years we've lived there. And if I ran the place, I'd bulldoze the whole thing, push it, the whole sucker down. It's a, it blights the neighborhood. It lowers the value of the property. Well, bless you. I love Jesus. Yeah, and you suck. That's what you are. No, when you move in, you're salt. You ought to spice things up. When you clean up your yard, other people say, ours looks terrible. We better clean ours up. When you fix up and paint up and get, it kind of brings everybody's bar up little bit. You're, you're, you're moving out of the lid. You're putting, little, you're putting a little silent pressure on people to, hey, get your act together. Sharpen up. You look terrible out there. 
Anybody with me? I didn't think this is hard. I think this is easy. So break, break free from that wrong mindset. How does God think about you? He takes delight in the prosperity of his people. Anybody got kids in here besides me? You got kids? Don't you delight when the kids get a good grade? Don't you delight when your kids do well? If your kids were able to buy a home, don't you say, oh, man, that's great. They got their first home. Or they, got, they, they made some achievement. Every parent delights when their kids do well. There's nobody, oh, I'm so happy Bill flunked out. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy Bill and Jane, our kids, they got a divorce. No, no, we hurt. Well, this good dad says, I delight when my kids do well. God, you've got to renew your mind. He wants you to do well. You've got to believe that. He's, herein is my Father glorified, John 15, that you bear much fruit. Not, well, how you, well, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm, I'm surviving. I'm bump along. What? Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God, no matter what you've got, God wants you to grow it. God wants it to reproduce. God wants you to be fruitful in it. Make that business increase. Make your sales increase. God didn't want you surviving. He wants you thriving. It's not barely enough. It's more than enough. It doesn't mean you're going to be Warren Buffett. It just means you've got more than enough. You've got surplus. You can bless other people. You can bless the kingdom. But if you're struggling just to get by, then you're, 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 you're not going to be of any effect to the kingdom of God at all, just surviving. I don't see that in Scripture. So not only does the Bible teach wisdom will put riches in your hand, that God takes pleasure in seeing you prosper, it says God shows you how to do it, how to build abundance into your life. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, I am the Lord your God who gives you the power, the creative ability, the skill to obtain prosperity. Now, why is that such a problem to people? Now, you can wish you were going to, I'm going to be this, I want to be that. Well, my question is, do you have the skill level to do that. If not, you better get working on it right now. You know, do you have the skill level to obtain what you want? If you want to be married and everybody in your town, every eligible male in your city, this is silly, is married, you need to move towns. <laughs> Duh. You need a new skill. There aren't any people there. You can't go home and catch a trout in your bathtub. You're going to have to go where they have trout. If I'm a girl and I want to marry an engineer, I'm going to go up and camp around A&M or take some classes where they train them. I'm going to go where the fish are schooling. If there aren't any, well, our Lord will provide. Yeah, and he gave you a car and a will move. If the mountain won't come to Muhammad, then Muhammad going to the mountain. I'm going to go where they are. It's, this is called common sense, and it's not very common. And you get into religious thinking, people, holy cow, it gets really, really goofy. So the Bible says, how blessed is a man who fears God, who lives by his word, who keeps his commandments. And then it suddenly says, and wealth and riches shall be in his hand. But a poverty mentality will take verses out of context or quote them incompletely. For example, how many of you have heard money is the root of all evil? It doesn't say that. It says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If people worship money, it defiles them, pollutes them, corrupts them. But it's not money that does it. It's loving money that does it. And you can be on welfare and love money. You can be on minimum wage and love money. You, you, we tend to think of rich people, but hey, 
it's just as big a problem with the human fallen nature. So it's like, if I go down, if a drug deal went down and a hundred dollar bill fell on the ground outside of shop and go, and I walk by after the deal's done and I pick it up, I don't suddenly become a drug addict. I don't suddenly become a cartel member. That money is going to manifest the character of the man who picked it up. When Derek Carr got the $125 million contract five years with the Oakland Raiders, the highest contract in the NFL just a month ago, they interviewed him, and I showed you the interview where they said, what's the first thing you're going to do with that big money? He said, tithe to my church. I've been doing it since college. The boy's going to be fine. He said, that money isn't going to hurt me. My wife and I, we, we collect coupons. We do savings. We're going to help a charity in Haiti. That money's going to bless a lot of people. This old boy's going to go far in life. He's got wisdom. He's got skill. He's not going to go out and buy three houses and 14 cars and end up broke in five years. That's a fact. That's a fact. So it's loving money. See how they misquote that? Money is neither good nor evil. It just reflects the heart and will of who has it. In the hands of a good man, it's good. In the hands of an evil man, it's evil. Some folks are too broke to be bad. And when they get money, they, what was in them comes out. The money didn't make it happen. The money allowed it to happen. I wonder if sometimes God doesn't hold back from some people because you'd kill yourself. If you can't be faithful in a little, you won't be faithful with much. So learn to be faithful and steward the little bit you've got so God can trust you with more. Well, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor? Rick, we'll finish the verse. Yeah, he was rich, yet he became poor that you and I through his poverty might be made rich spiritually and in the material realm. What prosperous people. So God wants resources, blessing, and finance in a believer's hand to benefit others. I mean, do you think God made nice things just for the drug cartel? Or just for overpaid uh, uh, athletes or, or celebrities who couldn't get off a parking lot out of a shower of rain, who can't stay sober or off drugs. You think God made nice things just for them? Holy Moses, wake up. No, you've got to develop good skill good wisdom. Get your education. Take a free course. Take any opportunity to make yourself more valuable, to up your skill level, and you bring more value to the table. It's a process. It's not one, it's not one course. Some of you get out of high school and say, well, that's it. Are you kidding me? That, you just started, Jack. That's not it. It's a lifetime of sowing and learning and growing and working hard until it does pay off. In Mark 10, down nearly verse 29, 28, it says, Then Peter started to speak up, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or property for my sake and the gospel will receive now in this lifetime a hundredfold in houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, eternal life. So the reward is now, not in the millennium, and with persecution, which comes from religious people. It did then, it does now. My, Ray Bevan, who was with us, the little Welch guy who sings like Rod Stewart will be with us in another month. Rod, Rod, when I was preaching in the nation of Wales, it's very small-minded. They judge ministers by the horsepower of their car. You said, that's not possible. 
I'm telling you, you need to get out of town occasionally. It is. It is sad. It is ridiculous. They will only sing and speak in the Welch language because in 1914 and 15, they had a one-year revival that hit the little nation of Wales. And because it came while they were speaking and singing in Welch, they won't change. And they hadn't had another visitation since. It's deader than Julius Caesar. Who will dare to change that? See, it's just silly how people are so resistant. We can thank God for prosperous men and women in this church who have contributed a great deal to put us where we are. And, of course, the Lord wouldn't want wealth and riches in their hand, would he? Yeah, right. Barry Hahn from Los Angeles, I remember when I was with Reinhard Bunke, gave a million dollars to Reinhardt's crusade, a million bucks cash. He gave $100,000 to the Dream Center in L.A. And for over a year, gave $100,000 a month just as a charitable contribution. He had his own church and his own giving, but he's a very affluent and wealthy man from real estate. And I thought, I wonder if we have any young businessmen or women with a vision to give away not just make, but to give away a million dollars into the kingdom of God in one year. What's your goal? Give God a reason to prosper you, not just so you can have more horsepower and square footage and gate to community, not just for that, not just to stay on eternal vacations out of church forever because you got options, but to do something with it, not only that will bless you, but bless the kingdom for goodness sakes. I grew up with grandparents who came out of the Great Depression. And although they were, they were prosperous people and hardworking, good people, they still had a poverty mentality because of that Great Depression, even though they weren't depressed. And all I ever heard, and I've told you many times, turn out the lights, Ricky, shut the door, don't let the heat out. Cut that off, shut that down. We can't afford that. Cut the air conditioner off in your car, you get better gas mileage. <laughs> I told you, and when it's... When we got our very first home, I opened all the doors, opened the back doors. I cut on the heat pumps, and I just stood there. And I cut every light in the house on just to say, I am not living under that lid. We can't afford it. It cut off the lights. Now, for some of you older people, I am not endorsing bad stewardship. I cut the lights off going down the hall in this church because these young adults who are employed here think it's free. And I cut it off. But I am not operating under a poverty mentality, and that's what I don't want to pass on. Don't ever say, well, we can't afford it, we can't afford it. When and if God determines your child needs something or you will need it, He will provide it. But if it's just a want, you might not get it. But if it's a need, it's not about what you can afford now. It's about God will supply my need. Get a better attitude or you're going to talk your kids out of doing anything. Anything. Okay. So, of course, there's value in teaching conservation. I'm aware of that. But not when it's controlled by a poverty mindset. Don't let that into your children's thinking. Take on the heritage that's ours in Christ and change the thinking of your children so they have a healthy attitude toward finance. Don't spoil, but teach, your, teach respect and good stewardship and appreciation of all of God's benefits, including prosperity. Get comfortable. Teach young people. Get comfortable around nice things with abundance. Money is just a tool to fund your vision and purpose. Poor is a state of mind, 
I can't fix that. Broke is a state of my wallet. That's easy to fix. But people who think poor can't fix that. So take your girlfriend, take your wife when you're a young adult. You're not making much money. You can't afford a meal for $250. But go down to a high-dollar restaurant. Go to a very fashionable restaurant. And go in and enjoy cheesecake and a cappuccino. And just get comfortable with the ambiance instead of somebody in flip-flops, somebody in a tux that's got a napkin serving you with proper etiquette and courtesy. My point in doing that is to get you comfortable around nice things so you're not intimidated, so you don't feel inferior, so, so you, you, you can take it or leave it. You, you're not intimidated or impressed by nice things, so you can work your way into it. If you have a wardrobe and you're young adults, I would urge you, don't buy a brown jacket. Brown is negative. Get a black blazer. You can go to Joseph A. Banks and get a $150 black blazer. You can wear it with jeans casual like billionaires. You can put a white shirt on and a tie with it. You can just put on dress slacks or dress jeans with it, and you look semi-formal. You look fine. If you can afford to, get a navy blue one. Don't buy brown. It registers negative in every test. So get you, Gerald Ford, when he took over from Nixon, had plaid smoking jackets as our president. And after one week, they got him out of that into a dark suit that conveyed leadership and power and authority. There's something about that. You can learn that so you're not impressed or intimidated. If you go into a nice home, How's it decorated? Learn. How do people sit? How do they act in those areas so that you don't feel intimidated and, oh, I I could never be comfortable around that. Well, that's my point. I'm trying to get you out of that. When I couldn't afford to buy a wheel and I had a Volkswagen Beetle with 250,000 miles on it, I'd go sit in a Cadillac. I'd go sit on a showroom floor. I drove that sucker for miles, never left the showroom floor. I smelled that leather. I was acquainted with it. I knew everything about it. I went in neighborhoods that I could never probably would run me out of today, but I'd drive through and I'd say, one day I'd like to have that and one day I'd like to have that. I'd like my yard to look like that. That's called getting a vision getting a dream, get comfortable, and be acquiring skills and get wisdom because one day opportunity will come, and then it's too late. You've got to have the skill level ready to seize the opportunity when it comes. So I will prepare myself, and my time will come. Time and opportunity happens to everybody. Be ready when it comes. Get yourself prepared now, right? So enjoy the beautiful things. You say, well, Rick, I can mix it for 10 cents at home with a spoon, my coffee. Yeah. But you're not paying for the coffee. You're paying for the atmosphere and service. Oh, I just would feel so uncomfortable. That's my point. Do it until it's not a big deal. Get comfortable so you are not impressed and slobbering on yourself when you walk into someone's mansion or a million-dollar home or gated community. Just say, well, we're just as good as they are. If, if depending on my skill level, perhaps I could have that one day. If not, I can have a nice home, and I might pick some ideas out of how they've They do what they do. How do people sit? How do people talk? That's an acquired skill you can learn. When you walk in, you don't want to say to the maitre d' of a nice restaurant, "Uh, we just like uh, just some coffee and a cheesecake. He's going to look at you like redneck. 
You don't even belong here, do you? No, no, you walk in bold. You walk in confident. You put on that jacket and those jeans, you walk in there. It says, we want a table for two. We're going to a movie. We want some cappuccino and a cheesecake. You speak with authority. You stand up. You carry yourself well. You learn how to do that with people, right? You do that. You don't walk in like this. You don't want people to say, you don't impress me. There are people just jerky that are, have a lot of money. Big deal. They're still a jerk. But I want you to get comfortable with nice things. Change the heritage of your children. Praise the Lord, David said. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commandments. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. A couple of ideas. This righteous man conducts his business dealings. He's a good man, deals graciously, and lends. Verse 5. That means he acts fairly. He's a gracious person, and he's a generous person. He lends. The world can be ruthless because it's about getting and taking. Teach your kids to be gracious and generous. Deuteronomy 28, 12, you shall lend and not borrow. That speaks about generosity, sowing into others. Don't use your influence or position to take advantage of people for money. If they want to bless you, let it be their decision, not your hint. Determined to be gracious and lend. I've been young, now I'm old, David said. Psalms 37, verse 25. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children in a bread line. He is ever merciful, and he lends. Let that be said of you, and sow that into your children and future generations. We can expect then our children to be blessed if we put right principles into them. Secondly, conduct your personal affairs with wisdom. Verse 5, he will guide his affairs. Are you drifting or are you directing your life by the choices you make? You get to make choices every day to direct the future of your life. He will guide his affairs with discretion. That means good judgment, wisdom, fairness. You're the head, not the tail. You're guiding your affairs. Impart that to your children. If you try to live your life trying to keep somebody or some group that has a poverty mentality happy, nothing you wear, nothing you drive will ever be poor enough. Break free from that. A couple of years ago, I was given a very expensive sports car by a businessman. It's a shame, but I have to tell the whole church how it came about, or else I'll be stealing money. Shame. Uh, let me tell you something. I can drive anything you can drive. I've driven Lamborghinis. I've been in Rolls Royces. I've been in uh, the Stretch Marlboro uh, 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 Mercedes Benz. I've been on yachts around the world. I've been in private jets. I can drive, live in anything you can. But I have a call. And in this particular calling that I have, I forfeit the right to do some things that I would have the skill to do. But it's not because I can't do it. It's because I've chosen to do something that God's asked me to do. There's a big difference in that. If you're going to be on a mission field, you ain't going to be driving a Rolls Royce. But you could have friends that do supporting you because you're excellent in what you do. You're effective in what you do. You're productive in what you do. And they want to be part of that. It takes everybody. It takes everybody. But I want to lift the lid on our kids so they think big. Joel Osteen thought a lot bigger than his daddy, but he waited to honor his daddy. And when his daddy died, he was given the authority to lead, and he took it to a whole new level. He didn't live under that lid. He lived a lot bigger. 
Some of us need to learn to live a lot bigger. If you think I'm satisfied with what we got, I'm not satisfied. I want to rip those drapes down, put 2,500 more people behind that, and put that gymnasium and building out there. And I'm asking God to keep me alive till I see it done. I want to pass on a rich heritage to the next generation, a low indebtedness, great opportunity, great vision, great location, and now take the baton, and you've got unlimited potential. Yeah, we've had to choke and die and pray and fast and war to get here, but we're going to take you at least to a new level where you're going to have it a lot easier than we had, but I hope you'll take the bar higher for the third generation. It'll be an amazing thing, and I'll be watching from heaven. And I'll come back. <laughs> Third, teach your children to conduct themselves well when storms come, and everybody will go through them. Verse 6, surely he will not be shaken. That's because of the great principles that have been built into their life. Verse 7, he will not be afraid of bad news. Why not? He's guided his affairs with discretion. Whosoever hears my word and obeys it is like a man that builds his house on a rock, and when the storms come, it is not shaken. It does not fall. Joseph wasn't shaken in famine. He guided his affairs with discretion. During plenty, he stored. Take some of these immature, untaught athletes and celebrities, and at the end of the day, they don't go five years. They end up in jail on drugs and broke. When you get big money, you get you a financial advisor or somebody that can advise you on how to shelter some of it, how to be generous with your church and with charity, how to help, how to help others, how to leave something for the next generation. You don't have to buy 13 cars and four houses, right? And then end up broke, having made millions and millions of dollars. Verse 4, under the upright there arises light in the darkness. So when darkness overtakes the righteous, light comes bursting in. His heart is established, firm and fearless. He will see his enemies collapse. He's learned how to conduct himself during difficult times. And last, teach kids how to conduct their attitude towards finance. Verse 9, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His generosity endures forever. His power, his authority will be exalted with honor. He will rise to a place of prominence and respect. So it's one thing to have wealth and riches in your house. It's another to disperse and give. So you got a new car, son? Good. I'm proud of you. You bought a new home? Good for you, son. But keep being generous. Keep dispersing. Keep being generous. Keep dispersing. Build that into your children, and they will never be in a bread line the rest of their life. Not turn off the light, shut the door. We can't afford it. But he gives, he disperses. He gives, he disperses. He gives, he disperses. Make your life a flow of blessing. And even if you don't leave money to your children, if you leave godly wisdom, value, and principles to them, they can make all the money they need. But if they don't have wisdom and character and value, no matter how much you leave them, they will be corrupted and wreck their life, and they won't end up with the thing. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.